This is the Author Archive podcast. I'm David Freeman. In this episode, a conversation I had with Sarah Waters. When her first novel, which was called Tipping the Velvet, came out in 1998, it got huge acclaim, was made into a TV series. Then there was Affinity. Then the third one, also set in Victorian England, published in 2002, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and the Orange Prize. Fingersmith, it's called. Fingersmith, Sarah, what is that? Well, Fingersmith is, is a Victorian slang term for, for thief or pickpocket. Um, it also, curiously enough, seems to be, have been a slang term for midwife. So the combination of the two ideas, for me, was just sort of too, too irresistible, really. Um, Peppered through the book are some odd words mm. that I had to scurry to the OED mm. to find out about. Did you know them? Or did you go and find them? I think on the whole I went and found them. I mean, all my books have been set in the 19th century, so I've done an increasing amount of sort of reading about, um, you know, slang. I was really interested in trying to get hold of the sort of ordinary language of people in the streets, you know. So luckily we've got dictionaries of slang. Um, Partridge's Dictionary of Slang is a fantastic resource. And so I think I read the whole thing. I mean, it's a pretty hefty book and just found words that, that like, like Fingersmith that sort of really captured my imagination. The the first girl we meet, she's the daughter of a murderess. Yes, Sue Trinder. She's um, sort of 17 while the action of the novel's taking place. And she's been raised by thieves in the borough in the 1860s. She's been brought up. Her mother's been hanged as a murderess. She's been brought up by a baby farmer, Mrs Saxby, and Mr Ribs, who's a locksmith but also a, fel- a fence, a dealer in stolen goods or, or poke, as, as it's called in the novel. So do you like the low life? <laughs> it was very appealing. I mean, I really wanted to go for a kind of a Dickensian, you know, Oliver Twisty sort of um, thieves' kitchen type atmosphere. And I did really enjoy doing it. I, the, the Victorians were, were rather like us, actually, kind of preoccupied with their own criminal underworld and did a lot of um, documenting of it and, and, you know, sent out reporters to talk to sort of criminals and get their own stories in their own words. Mayhew was doing that. And... Um, it was fantastic for me to immerse myself in that sort of writing and, and then try and reproduce it, really, with, with a, I guess, with a modern agenda. That's what I hope I'm doing in the novels. And there really is honour amongst those thieves, isn't there? There is, to a certain extent. Um, I mean, the novel is full of sort of twists and reversals, which I won't sort of give away now, but there's a certain amount of honour amongst thieves, although I think the whole idea of honour is something that the novel rather explores and throws into question to a certain extent, sort of who's faithful to who. When, when Dickens wrote, there was always a kind of an underlying social message. Is, mm. is there meant to be one here too? Um, obviously Dickens was writing to his own society, about his own society. And so, you know, the, the comparisons between me and Dickens can only go so far. You know, I'm not really... I, I mean, you can't write about uh, write about Victorian society and not get sort of outraged and horrified with the with the you know gross social injustices that were going on. But I mean, you know, there are gross social injustices going on here today. And in a sense, I'm not really addressing either periods in that sense. But as I say, I do hope um, I give a sense of of the the kind of awfulness really of lots of people's lives in the 19th century, even while I try and also not 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 dwell in it you know in a rather sentimental way i just show people sort of getting on with things and making the best of things i hope and sue is used to london in fact um a few pages in she's looking west Mm. um and is kind of terrified Mm. of it because that's Mm. sort of the badlands yeah 
Yeah, I know I was very interested in, in that idea, you know, that you would be brought up in London. And actually, you'd really be, I suspect, in, in this period, the 1860s, well, lots of the 19th century and, and earlier, you know, you'd be brought up in, in, a, in a small part and it would be almost like a village. You know, you'd grow up in the borough, you'd know the borough fantastically well, you'd know all the streets and your neighbours and things like that. But actually straying beyond it would be a rather scary thing. I like the idea that Sue is very, very streetwise, but once you take her out of her element, or just a little way out of her element, actually, she's at a bit of a loss. Yeah, because the 1860s, travel, mass travel is just coming mm. in. I mean, she knows about Paddington. Mm. So um, you know that you can get beyond this and you can get there quite mm. quickly. But also she's not actually not that interested in doing it. You know, I mean, rather like Londoners now. <laughs> sort of the world stops at, you know, the end of zone two, in a way, for lots of people in London. Um, so in a sense, not, that, not, not much has changed. I mean, I'm always amazed at how I stick to very particular parts of London, you know, very particular routes. And for me, going over to, to Harrow or Shepherd's Bush even is, is a, you know, it's, it's bringing me into contact with stuff I don't normally see, which, you know, and here am I in the 21st century living in London. So, you know, 150 years ago, I think it was that much more sort of contained. And yes, yeah, she does go into the country and she does experience the railways, but it's very much an adventure for her and a journey into the unknown. And she meets an, the other key player mm. in the story. Tell me about her. Maud. Maud is, it's really a story of two orphans in a, in a classic Victorian way, I suppose. So Sue's an orphan who's been brought up in, in London. And Maud is an orphan about, of about the same age who's been brought up in the country, in a, in a sort of gothic country house with a, a rather sinister book collector uncle who's sort of made her his secretary and she lives in a very, very isolated way. Um, so again, just as Sue is, is taken out of her element, so, so I was interested in how Maud copes in her own odd environment, but once she's taken out of that, she kind of flounders too, and it's, 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 the, it's the growing relationship between the two women and, and the things that they don't even know about, the connections there are between them that the book explores. How is it that Sue meets Maud in the first place? Who builds that bridge? Sue is persuaded into um, a rather dastardly plot this is after, um, really kind of Victorian melodrama, my attempt to do a sort of Victorian sensation novel. And what happens is Sue is approached by a gentleman con man called Gentleman, or Mr Rivers, who persuades her um, to impersonate a lady's maid and become Maud's lady's maid. He's, what, his plan is to marry Maud, steal her fortune, and then lock her away in a, in a madhouse. And he needs Sue's help to do this, takes Sue to the country house. Um, and what happens is Sue actually finds she rather likes Maud. Um, so there's the complications kind of arise. And Maud rather likes Sue too. Yes. <laughs> D tell me about the, the sort of books that the, the book collector collects. Well, yes. I mean, this is kind of giving, uh, giving it away a bit. All right, well, all right then. Well, no, I can, but... Oh, you can. Go on, give us... Give us. It, it turns out that the book collector is a collector of pornography, which... We, people don't tend to think about when they think about the 19th century. We think of it as a rather, you know, repressed, asexual time. But of course, just as there was prostitution going on on a, on a huge scale, um, so there was a thriving pornography industry from sort of mid 18th century onwards. Um, and there were, you know, book collectors who specialised in erotica and pornography. Um, and one in particular, Henry Spencer Ashby, who compiled these great indexes in the latter half of the 19th century of pornography and erotica. With all that Victorian you know, attention to detail and classifying, they were kind of obsessed with sort of classifying things. He did these great indexes of pornography and Mr. Lilly, the character in the book, he's, he's not, he's a rather unpleasant man. I don't know any, I don't think 
um, Ashby himself was unpleasant in those kinds of ways, but certainly Mr Lilly's project is based on, on Ashby's, and he's involved Maud in, in this project. Yeah, I mean, this is all listed in the acknowledgements at the back of the book, yes. so you can say, ah, oh, that's where Sarah went. <laughs> so did you go and have a look at this stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You see, the fascinating thing about Ashby was he, he had this... He had a huge collection of books, some of which were, you know, non-pornographic, but, but there was all this pornographic stuff too, and he bequeathed the entire collection to the British Library on the um, condition that, that, as well as the ordinary books, they take the, the pornographic books. So they took them and for a long time didn't really make it public. Um, and even now, you know, they're kept in a special collection and you have to go to a special desk and read them at a special desk. Um, so I did read as much of them as I could, you know, and, and the indexes. It was quite interesting to follow sort of Ashby's work like that. Does it give you a, a clue as to what um, what the Victorians perceived as erotic compared with what we perceive as being? Um, I think it, yes, I mean there's lots and lots of whipping stuff, you know, there's lots of flagellation stuff, um, which we, you know, I guess we do tend to think of when we think of Swinburne and the Victorians and all that sort of repressed public school type atmosphere there is a lot of that but what struck me actually more was was the range you know you can't really generalize about pornography then or now because some of it you know is very sort of jolly and some of it's nasty you know but lots of it and this is what really appealed to me and made me really begin to want to do something with it lots of it just shows men and women women having a really quite nice time you know and, and portrays women as as active sexual agents you know having fun with men and with each other and so that's, as I say, that before, you know, that's not something we tend to think about about the 19th century. And here is this fantastic resource full of, full of, you know, really jolly images of women having a good time. And I, and I began to think, well, you know, we can't ignore this. It would be quite nice to try and sort of do something with it. Reading this novel, which is, it's long. It's it, long. There's a lot of it in Bad here. Bad for money, this book. Um, so you must have lived in this world. And you just wonder, um, after a day's writing this, did you find it a bit difficult to go to Tesco's? <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that, writing. Um, it is. I mean, re-entering, especially because some parts of the book are, are fairly grim, especially the, the account of Maud's life, you know, growing up with her uncle. And it was hard, imaginatively, to re-enter that world every day. And then, as you say, it was almost harder to leave it and, and sort of become a functioning 21st century human being again. And, wandering out, you know, working on your own too, it sort of compounds all those things, I think. Is it easy to go down that tunnel into this world? I find it frighteningly easy, you know, and the whole kind of language, I mean, one of the pleasures for me of writing um, fiction set in the 19th century is, is, is trying to recapture a sort of Victorian idiom. And um, I have to say, it came frighteningly easy to me. I don't really know why, but I, um, and now of course it's infected you know, my, my emails. I can't send an email without there being 20 semicolons in it or something. So it, it does have this uh, creeping effect on, on your life. So is this going to be your area? Sarah Waters well, has colonised this, this <laughs> bit of fiction. I have to say that although I've loved, loved working in the 19th century for three books now, I did feel I was beginning to get a bit stuck or I was worried that I was going to get stuck there and end up pastiching myself, you know, as well as pastiching the 19th century novel. So for the next book, um, I am moving, period, I'm moving to the 1940s, which is a fascinating leap and quite a big leap. And I'm having to do lots of new research, obviously. And it's very early days, but it's, again, it's part of what I'm trying to do is capture a, a new idiom, you know, a 40s idiom, which is which is interesting. Again, slightly kind of buttoned up and repressed, I like that, but a much more recognisably modern voice too, so. This book is called Fingersmith. It's very good. It's the latest from 
Sarah Waters. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. And indeed, that was the very latest from Sarah Waters when I recorded that interview with her in 2002. I'm David Freeman. This is the Author Archive Podcast.